You're listening to the Language Assistance Podcast, brought to you by the British Council. For more information about the British Council or the Language Assistance Programme, please visit britishcouncil.org. Olivia, how's it going? Hi, I'm good, Bethan. How are you doing? Yeah, it's been a, a busy week. We're, I think time is flying by. We're getting really, really close to the assistance going abroad. Like Some of my assistants for China are going in, like I think, three weeks now. I know, it's crazy. It's gone so, so quickly recently. And our inbox is being flooded at the moment. Like I think it's getting to that point where the programme, you know, people are about to go abroad, they've got lots of questions, it's when some of the apprehension starts. Yeah, I think we had about 810 last week, so yeah, quite a few. Yeah, so there's lots of people out there with lots of questions, and I don't know, from my experience, I kind of know the topic that scares people the most, but since you've been in the programme, what would you say that is? I'd say it goes through different topics throughout the year, but at this time of year, it's definitely accommodation. Yeah. Finding accommodation, worrying about accommodation. In general, like they say, it's one of the things that kind of makes people happy or can cause like stress and things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really shapes your experience. Yeah, so it's definitely true with our language assistance. So I thought a really good topic for one of our podcast episodes would be accommodation. And now everyone has different experiences, different preferences. They might have different ideas before they go and actually end up with something else. So we're delighted to be joined by a former language assistant. Yeah, hi everyone. So I'm Sophie and I studied at the University of Sheffield doing French and history. And for my year abroad, I was in Montpellier in the south of France as a teaching assistant. And you've had a very varied, varied um, experience in terms of accommodations. That's why we thought you'd be perfect to join us. So thank you so much for joining us. Of course. Now to start off, I thought we should tackle the kind of age old question of language assistance. Should they arrange their accommodation before they go or not? I think I understand the positives of thinking about, oh, I want to have it sorted before you go. I do also think uh, it's important not to rush into things. Sometimes it could be better to just wait off and get there a few weeks earlier, maybe stay in temporary accommodation for a little bit and then see what's around just to make sure that you're going to like the place that you're living in because if you sign up for something before you go it might be completely different on arrival I don't know what do you think Sophie? Yeah I would definitely also recommend to do some research before to have some idea of where the best area for you might be and I remember looking and there were often lots of forums on TripAdvisor for the best areas in a specific city where they would consider like public transport proximity to different schools and supermarkets around and restaurants and bars whether or not it's a student area etc. So even before you're in the country, I think that's definitely something to do. Um, But you're right. If you had arranged something before you're even there, then you might turn up and it might not be exactly what you'd hoped for. So, yeah, I would potentially recommend going, staying a couple of weeks in an Airbnb or staying in some temporary accommodation and then deciding whilst you're there and able to speak to people. Um, My experience was slightly different in that I was wanting to stay with a host family So I guess if you're looking for that kind of accommodation, it might be worth looking to a bit before and looking into finding a company and working out how that works because it might be that you have to do that before you actually arrive so that the family know that you're arriving, et cetera. Um, But then you might be able to do that when you're there as well. So yeah, worth thinking about. Yeah, so people wanting different types of things might have to organise it before they go. Some people might have to organise it in the country. I know from my experience, I'm a bit of an over planner. Like I wanted everything as much as I could to be organised before I went. And I was just 
told by my year abroad tutor, like, do not organise your accommodation before you go unless you specifically want to live in a host family. Because like, you don't know the area, you might meet language assistance in your first couple of weeks when you're there that you might live with. Yeah. It's really important to get to know the area. But I found it so stressful. We just arrived with my bags. I had two nights for a hotel booked and that was it. So I just, I had this massive anxiety yeah. and I'm going to end up with nowhere to stay. I think it is important if you are looking for more rented accommodation, I would really encourage people to wait until they get there and make sure that they view things first. We've had incidences in the past where language assistants have almost been catfished. <laughs> so like <laughs> by, a the, by a property. So online it looks beautiful, looks amazing, and they actually get there and it's tiny. Or they arrive there and suddenly there's like a 50-year-old and they maybe wanted to live with younger people or vice versa if someone was a bit older of a language assistant yeah. and didn't want to live with students. So it's really important, I think, for people to consider getting temporary accommodation in the country and making sure that you view any accommodation that you, you want to. But then it's the same in the UK. Like I, I moved to London a couple of years ago and you get a feel for the property and the people in it. And I think it's important. And the areas as well. And the yeah. area. And I think it's important for you to be there to trust your judgment. I do think it is a hard one because especially when you've got a couple of months before you go maybe, which a lot of our assistants will be in that position now, and they're thinking, oh, I should be doing everything I can to ensure that everything's in place when I get there. And me personally, I'm in every other aspect of my life, I'm very organised. I like to have everything sorted. So, and I, when I first turned up, I just had three nights in a hotel and just decided to find something which is very out of character, but I'm glad I did because I got to shop around a bit and just make sure I like my the other tenants as well, which I think is really important. So Sophie, you um, organised stuff before you went because you wanted to go in the host family. Yeah. Do you have any kind of tips in temporary accommodation? So although you wanted to live long term in a host family, actually you could maybe do that for a month. Do you think that's possible? Yeah, I think it definitely is. Yeah, lots of families have different setups I guess for who's going to stay so some people will just take people in for a month some people will take multiple people so that's something to look into if you are a bit nervous to go by yourself if there's another assistant that you could get in touch with that's looking for maybe a month staying with a host family and having the positives of that then that could be definitely an option but I just found the company myself from just looking online I just typed into google um, accommodation host family in Montpellier and something came up straight away so I just had a little look around different sites but there's definitely different options because I think the one I did ended up with, you could also do a French language course, but I didn't want that part of it. So you can kind of tailor it to how you want it to be. And one thing I would say, having worked on the programme for a couple of years, is I would really encourage people to be really cautious about paying anything to someone online before they've seen something. We're going to actually do an episode in a few weeks with my colleague, Jessie, who works in the counter-fraud team. But one thing I'm really aware of, particularly in countries like Spain, I've seen it happen a lot, is some like things like Airbnb scams, where people would say, oh, I've got this property to rent, like rather than like an Airbnb for a holiday rent, but they want payment through Airbnb. And they end up being like a fake site that they'll, so a deposit will be paid by a language assistant through Airbnb and suddenly this person will disappear. So there's another kind of reason I'd say, if you're looking for something more te- uh, permanent, it is better to be in the country. I suppose that's one of the benefits of the kind of steps you took, Sophie, because you went through a proper company Mm -hmm. and you could check out that company and reviews and things like that. Yeah, exactly. So the way that I did it, you had to apply, you had to do your own application online where you would say a bit about yourself, say if you had any allergies, kind of your daily routine, what you like to do on the weekend, etc. 
And then there'd be an agent that I think was the kind of head of the company that would then put you in touch with families that she has been to visit and been to see and been to chat with and say a bit of, I think it was a brief description that she would email about the family and then you could have their details and start emailing them and seeing whether or not it would be a good fit. But it wasn't until I actually got to France that then I had a proper contract set with them. I kind of had a preliminary contract I guess before but then when we were there that's when we did the contract and paid so I had to I definitely wanted to see them before and that was kind of how it was run so that worked well. Cool so we've got some options for temporary accommodation so you could stay in a host family maybe for a couple of weeks or months stay in a hostel a hotel stay with friends you might even be lucky your school uh, or someone mm-hmm. at your school mm-hmm. might offer to put you up for a couple of weeks. I think that's some given our listeners some good ideas for temporary accommodation. So thinking about more long-term accommodation, you, Sophie, had a really interesting route, well, year, I'd say. Mm. Do you want to talk about the types of accommodation you stayed in through your year and a bit more about your experiences in France? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, so I stayed with the host family for the first seven months, um, which was quite a long time. So I first got to France and I actually stayed in an Airbnb just before for a couple of weeks and then met with the family um, on one of the weekends with my mum, who was with me at the time, just to kind of introduce myself, say hello to them. Um, And then I moved in when my mum went back home. I moved in that day. And I was with them for seven months in a house which was um, about a 20-minute walk from the city centre in a really nice area. I'd looked at the area before um, and had good public transport and bus routes around were really reliable and frequent, which was good. And it was a setup with, so it was two parents and then their youngest son. And I was with them for seven months. And then right at the end, I'd kind of decided that I wanted to Uh, move into my own apartment in the city centre just when the contract ended and the contract with British Council ended just to appreciate the rest of my time when it was getting really sunny Um, so I did move into an apartment by myself a tiny little it was like 16 meter squared place right in the centre of town so that's what I did at the end so I had two different um, things I did throughout the year for accommodation. How did you find living with a family because I I can assume if you've been a student you've lived away from home Some people might be a bit daunted by kind of moving back into a family setup. Did it work okay or did you kind of feel restricted in things that you could do? Um, I think the biggest takeaway I'd say from living with a family and what I'd recommend for people that are wanting to stay with host families is at the beginning make sure that you kind of have a bit of a contract in terms of what are they expecting from you and what can you be expecting from them even if that isn't initiated by them at the beginning, because it's all a bit new and you're meeting them and it's a bit awkward and uncomfortable and you're a bit nervous. I think just get over that and make sure that you do have that clear at the beginning because then you know what your place is within the family. And I would say that's the biggest thing that was quite hard at times in the family was just not knowing where I kind of fit in because you are the alien in some ways in someone else's family and you're trying to work out you know, your position within that. Um, and that can be hard at times and just lead to some misunderstandings. But I'd say on the flip side, positives are you're listening to and speaking French 24-7 with the family. And I'd also say if you're living with a host family at the beginning, for the first month, I remember I just had a headache every night because I wasn't used to listening and hearing and speaking French all the time. But it definitely did like wonders for my French by the end of the year. And also just having a real insight into French culture in terms of what they eat, how they shop at the market. They take me around and show me how they did everything. All the different butchers and cheese people that they knew, the cake specialists that they had a real relationship with. And I ended up doing a research project on it when I was back in my final year. Um, on like France's relationship with food. But I only was really inspired by that because I saw it 
with my own eyes living with the family and experiencing that day by day. So yeah, there's definitely pros and cons as there is with all accommodation. But I would say my biggest recommendation would be to make sure that you know what to expect and they know what to expect from you in terms of food and dinner and shopping. And if you're around in the evenings, do they expect you to be in? Because I guess it's sometimes it felt a bit restricting because if I wanted to go out into the town with my friends in the evening, I felt awkward not being there for the 8 p.m. dinner that they had every single evening, right at the same time, and everyone would be back at home. But actually just having a conversation with them, I'd then be able to work it out. But yeah, I'd say try and get over the nerves because it can be really nervy at the beginning to, yeah, try and fit yourself into the family, but just make sure you have that clear in your head so you know what to do. You've lived in the Hoof family and you also got rented apartment and I'll, I'll ask you about the rented apartment in a second. Mm. If you don't mind me asking, did you find it cheaper to live with a host family? Do you think it was a more affordable option or was it a bit more expensive? Well, actually the host family was, I think, just below the price of the accommodation myself. So it was 400 euros a month with the host family, which I think was kind of just flat rate for this company. And I was, it was a very nice house. Um, they had like a pool and all the things that come with someone having everything sorted for you. So there were things like all the admin things I didn't really have to worry too much about because that was all sorted because I was living with, you know, a setup already. And yeah, they had like a swimming pool and a really nice room. And it was very sunny, great garden, an orange tree, which I always used to pick the fruit off of. So yeah, it, I would say that was fairly expensive though, in terms of I ended up buying all of my own food. Um, I'd be able to have some of the fruit and stuff, but generally I also had that to add on and transport into town. As I say, it was about a 20 minute walk, but if I need to get in quickly, then I'd just get the bus. Whereas when I was by myself, I think it was about 450 euros, but I had a bit of a deal on it because as I stayed from the end of April till mid June, um, it was when they didn't have any students around. So I managed to get a kind of temporary two-month contract. So he reduced the fees for me, the landlord. Yeah, so those are the two different things. Cool. So how did you find your rented accommodation? So I know, Olivia, you also got rented accommodation. I did, yeah. But um, for you, Sophie, how did you actually organise that or even find the property? So I was looking online when the contract was coming to an end with both British Council and my homestay family. I was looking online a lot on things like Le Bon Coin, which is a good site. And there was another one which was called A Partager. Um, and the other thing uh, that I was looking at was Facebook groups. They have lots of Facebook groups online. If you just type in your city and then type in Colocation, you'll find loads of things. I'm still on the group now because I might go back at one point. So yeah, I'm still on there. And they're always posting about, you know, spare room and you can just get in contact with them. And then, I don't know, you can arrange to go and see the accommodation. So I, I think I emailed, I don't know, about 10 different properties. Yeah, so I'd always make sure that it was a furnished apartment. And then I think I looked at about five or six before I found the one that I was sure on. There was two at the end that I was kind of umming and ahhing between the two. But yeah, I, I found it quite easy just to keep looking every day, keep checking when you've got a bit of spare time. And I was quite motivated by the end. Like, I really want to stay in my own place. I think after living as well that much time in someone else's place, I was really craving some of my own space. So that motivated me to keep looking. And I just, yeah, reached out to those different people and managed to find one. And I think as well, at some of the places I went to go and visit, they would also know of other properties. So it's really just getting out there and getting your contact details and exploring and you'd be able to find somewhere that way, I think. 
Well, Olivia, you had a really interesting experience because you split your year abroad, didn't you? you? I did, yeah. So I had a half a year in uh, Italy, in Pisa, where I was studying at university. And then I had half a year in Madrid, Spain, where I was a teaching assistant. And I had two different experiences when finding accommodation as well. Uh, I think sometimes it's a bit trickier when you're splitting your year because you have to ensure straight away that any landlord, any contract knows that you're only going to be there for a limited period of time, as long as that's clear from the get-go. But yeah, I got rented accommodation in both places, both Pisa and Madrid. In Pisa, I was looking in, in Facebook groups before I got there just to see what kind of things were around, what kind of prices they were, and also what kind of areas people lived in and which areas people recommended but when I got there I had three nights in a hotel which is a perfect amount of time and I was panicking because I thought oh no I only have three days to find an apartment or a room to live in but when I got there I spoke to someone and they it was someone who would also come from university with me to Pisa who I knew beforehand and they said oh the Erasmus student network are just in like a little office in the city centre and they have a few rooms that they give away to um, like either Erasmus students or uh, assistants and so day one I went down there and they just said oh we've got this room that's um there's three other girls that have already moved in there uh, it's right off the high street it's 320 euros a month um do you want to go and have a look and i jumped on it and I was like yes definitely went and had a look the girls were um all native Spanish speakers so I got to speak Spanish they weren't native Italian speakers which would have been great but I got to keep up my Spanish while I was in Italy so that I was more prepared for when I then went to Spain which was good and then for Madrid I also got really lucky I used contacts that I knew from university in the UK and someone was splitting their year in Spain and Italy as well but they were going to Spain first and uh, I just messaged him on Facebook and said would you recommend anyone anything or do you know anyone that's got a room and then he got back to me and said oh you can take my room so (laughs) it was handed to me on a plate which was great even though when I got there it wasn't quite how I imagined it looked through his photos, it was near enough. So even though I'd sorted it beforehand, it wasn't too much of a disaster. Yeah, you got so lucky. I, I know. I cannot believe where you live. So essentially, Olivia lived in Sol, which anyone that knows Spain and Madrid, mm-hmm. that's like living just off Trafalgar Square in London. Yeah, I just, I could walk, I could walk about 20 seconds each day to get the um, train to where my school was, which was just outside in North Madrid. And, um, yeah, I was so lucky. I don't think I really realised how lucky I was until I got there and thought, oh yeah, I'm right in the centre. Yeah, so often people go to the countries thinking, oh, I want this type of setup for accommodation and things arise and sometimes you, they're too good for, you know, yeah, they're definitely. a great offer, you just have to take them. What I would say for anyone that's looking for rented accommodation, in all of the country notes um, that we publish, so everyone that's going through the programme through the British Council will get a country a summer information pack and each of the country teams will list websites that they know yeah. are ones that are used regularly in that country. So whatever country people are going to, whether it's Canada, whether it's Germany, Austria, etc., 
um, the country notes will have lists to sites that yeah um, are, are commonly commonly used and they're either recommended by us who've done it ourselves uh, or by former assistants as well um, in the end of year survey they give us lots of ideas be prepared particularly if you're in cities it can be quite competitive in the same mm -hmm. way that say someone's looking for accommodation in September October in a big city where there's students like in London or Manchester sometimes you do have to view quite a few properties to actually get one and I do know like having moved from Cardiff to London yeah you know you do have to see a few you might like the property but they might have someone that they preferred don't take it to heart a lot to me yeah <laughs> you just have to keep viewing keep viewing keep viewing um and if you like one go with your gut if you if you feel like you're going to be happy there um but I got so lucky so I was an assistant in between Valencia and Alicante in like a town and I got contacted by one of the teachers before I, I went over there, not my mentor, it was a different teacher. And she said, are you looking for accommodation? And I was like, yes, of course. And she said, oh, there's the old caretaker of the school. He's moved to a different school, but he's looking for someone to rent a flat with. Now, in my head, I thought caretaker, they're going to be like 50, 60. But my mum was like, okay, you need to be polite and meet him, yeah. and, you know, don't give, burn, it a chance. give it a chance, don't burn the bridges before you go. If you don't like him or you don't want to live there, you can obviously politely say no. But, you know, if that lady's reached out to you, just go and meet him when you get mm -hmm. there. So I had two days in a hotel booked and I was starting to look for accommodation in the town where my school was. And I wasn't really getting anywhere. It was kind of, it was quite like a family orientated town. There wasn't that many young people from what I could find online. So off I went to meet this caretaker and he turned up and he was like a 26 year old guy. Yeah. And he was the nicest guy. And he literally showed me around the flat. He was like, it's gonna be 120 euros a month. And I had a room and my own bathroom sharing, so with, good. sharing with him and another, another um, so is it another guy who's a student? So yeah, I just pay each month in cash and it's, you know, you just pay that to me and I'll pay the landlord. And I was like, yes, please. And he ended up being one of my like really closest friends. So if you are offered things by your school, do explore it as a possibility, but also don't feel pressured to take yeah, it. Yeah, I wouldn't, I'd say don't feel obliged to do it just because it's your school. You definitely don't have to. You're obviously within your right to look at other options, explore any anything else that could be an option. Yeah, so I got really lucky and that was a great option for me. Um, but sometimes we do get contacted by assistants saying, oh, my school's offered me to stay with their family or the head teacher wants mm -hmm. me to live with them. You're not obliged. We Every year we get people saying, do I have to? No. But, you know, if you are offered things, um, definitely explore it because it can make your life a bit easier, but do, don't feel like pressured mm -hmm. into doing anything that you, you're not comfortable with. So, Sophie, you, you, some of your friends had different experiences as well, didn't they? Yeah, so I had a friend who was also doing the homestay. So I think when she first moved to France, she'd actually reached out to some of the assistants and they'd booked like an Airbnb apartment for about a month. So they all had time to really have a look around and see what options there were. And she found a homestay experience through the academy, the education academy that was in Montpellier, who actually had some options for accommodation when everyone joined. So I think they knew that not everyone would have anything prepared necessarily. So they had some options. And she stayed with um, a homestay family, but she had a couple of, so throughout the month, she realized it was quite far away from her schools that she hadn't realized because we didn't get our schools until we actually were in on the first training day. We didn't realize where we were going to be. 
Um, so she realized that the public transport was going to be about an hour to her schools there and then an hour back every day. Um, and I think she just found that she wasn't, it wasn't the best fit with a homestay family. They were a lovely family, but they just didn't really have similar lives and they wanted to do different things. And she was just expecting a different setup. Um, so around Christmas time, she said she was going to have to think about it when we were back in the UK. And then back in January, she reached out to my homestay company um, and they found a fit for her that was much better. So it was living with a family at much closer to her schools where it was more kind of living in their apartment, well, a garage that they'd renovated into an apartment. And then she lived there the last three to four months and that was perfect for her. And it really changed her experience, I think. So it really made me realize if you're not enjoying being in your accommodation and you feel a bit uncomfortable there and, that's, and you can't really solve it, then yeah, feel free to move because it really it does affect your experience. So I think people should realise that they can and not feel so tied down somewhere. Yeah, and we spoke in our very first podcast episode about looking where you live. And it might be that you take the hit and have a longer commute to live in an area that yeah. that's where you want to live. Like, as I spoke in that podcast, my friend wanted to live in the centre of Madrid. It meant that she had an hour and a half commute each way, but for the sake of the weekends, the weekends and it was only she had to do that three to four days a week. Um, sometimes it's worth it. Cool. So we've spoken, so we said ESN, the Erasmus Student Network, if you're in Europe, is a great way. Often yeah. their their actual purpose at the start of the year is to get students into accommodation. And even if you're not a student, sometimes they're looking for people to fill rooms. So even mm-hmm. if you're a graduate, they're a good option. Check out our country notes. So our country notes have lists yeah. of websites. So the equivalents of things like spare rooms, but in different countries. And also we've spoken about options that your schools might be able to provide you and that type of thing we also every year get lots and lots of questions about administrative matters so that can be anything from deposits contracts moving in leaving the property mm-hmm. i thought we could just talk a little bit about that because it's all very well you find the accommodation of your dreams you get everything sorted and then you actually have to do the admin behind it which can be quite tricky if you're moving to a different country i know i don't know so if you're experiencing france can be you know there's quite a lot of bureaucracy and Yes. <laughs> and also, you know, the same with us. Like, oh, yeah. the assistance we bring from other countries to the UK, they're horrified about how much deposits they have to put down and things like that. Yeah. So things people need to think about in terms of accommodation and preparing before they go is if you're going to be going into rented accommodation, you're very likely to have to put a deposit down. Mm-hmm. I don't know, when you were in France, if when you went into the rented accommodation, did you have to put a deposit down? How much was was it if you did? I've got a feeling, I can't remember exactly, but I've got a feeling the deposit was actually just the two months rent. And he then said, I won't charge you any of it until right at the end. Because it was a bit of a different um, experience because it was usually a student accommodation, like a rented tiny apartment. But because the students weren't there, he said, I can just do it temporarily with you for two months. So I don't, I didn't really have a deposit. The deposit was just paying up front right at the beginning. And then I guess he just cashed that in at the end. <laughs> so I didn't really, yeah, but that, I think that's quite an unusual situation. Lots of the other places that I looked at would have half a month's rent on there. So about 200 euros for a deposit at the beginning. I think it is actually quite common. It's more common than you think, particularly yeah. in, um, in some of the countries where they have lots of tourism. Often our assistants, they can get, get into situations where they might not have a contract. Yeah. It might be quite a casual relationship. Why I would say, I mean, did you have things written down to evidence what you paid and stuff like that? Yes, yeah, yeah I did. So it's really important. Like if, even if you have a kind of casual situation like that, I'd really encourage all our assistants to get something writing, even if it's not a formal contract. 
still kind of, if you're paying over money, get them to sign yeah. and agree. And it's the same like with our landlord and my landlord mm. in Spain. We didn't have a formal contract. Essentially, it was a, a man in Madrid and it was his summer house with summer flats. So I ended up living by the beach. Um, and the agreement was as long as we're out by August when he, him and his family kind of yeah. move in for the two-month holiday. But men, we didn't have a contract and we, yeah, we didn't have anything written in terms of that. But what my land, my housemate did do is every month when we paid the money over to the person that was minding the property, and um, we just made sure that we had it signed just to evidence that we had given over that cash. I think it's really important for our assistants to protect themselves. If you're paying money, get everything evidence. I think that's what I did as well. Um, even though it was a bit different <laughs> in Italy, my payment schedule, I had to. We had to go to her house. She owned a few properties and rented them out, and everyone had to like book a slot every month to visit her in her massive house in Pisa. And she would be sat at her desk, and then we'd hand over the cash, and then she'd just like kind of scroll on a piece of paper and then sign it but it's still it's still something written down and then i think it was the same with my deposit we had to go and visit someone else to get it back it was like a um a fat her finance man then i can't remember how much the deposit was but it wasn't that much and um she said because she trusted me that she didn't <laughs> she didn't come and check the property so uh, when i moved out i didn't get anything taken off my deposit but i would recommend if there is anything wrong when you move in, just take a picture of it, have the date on the picture, just so they can't try and take any money away from you. Yeah, so just because if people are moving abroad, don't kind of change the way you would operate if you're in the yeah. UK. If you're moving into a property, take pictures of the room before. If there's real issues there, get them printed out and signed and agreed that you're agreeing that was the standard of the accommodation that you moved in. And also in terms of contracts, it's re this is really important. If people are signing contracts in different languages, even if you're really a competent speaker, it's also always worth getting a native speaker to review the contract with yeah. you. Just to check in terms of the notice that you need to give them before you leave, make sure there's no um, hidden clauses in terms of like damage payments, anything like that, or what you're responsible for maintaining in the property. Sometimes, and I, I don't want people to think that everyone's out there to get them, but you know, we're, we live in the real world. Be aware. Be aware, <laughs> there are a few people out there that might put in funny clauses, or say that you have to give them six months notice before you move out and things. So I would encourage, if you're signing contracts, make sure that you get a native speaker to just triple check. It's always, always good. I mean, even in the UK, I'm, I'm Renal, oh, yeah. my poor dad's read every single tenancy <laughs> agreement I've ever signed. <laughs> my mum too. Um, so yeah, it's worth doing that. Now in terms of moving in, obviously you were lucky, Sophie, you had a lot of, in the host family, I assume you had everything set up for you. Yeah. Are there any things that you think are kind of essentials to take with you? Well, definitely a photo of your family, for sure. Everyone said before, like, you know, bring a photo from home and kind of have a little frame. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll probably do that. But then right at the end, just before I left, I'd forgotten. But we managed to get one and we got a photo just of me and my family and the dogs. Um, and actually having that right next to my bed, as soon as you're in the room and it's like everything is alien, everything is new, and it's just a bit overwhelming, get that photo out and get it on the side. And you're like, oh, okay, you're all right. And then I would also say, I bring some speakers because again, when you're unpacking and stuff, just make yourself feel a bit more at home with your music on and you know, when you're showering and stuff as well, it's just always good to have them around. So I think those are the two things that most stick out in my mind for things to bring. Yeah, and it may be that 
assistants have to buy a few things when they first move into their accommodation. So I, I would encourage people to be prepared for that. And you know, take enough money that if you don't, do you have to buy the odd thing that you, you know you have the money available. Like for me, when I moved in, I just wanted a duvet. <laughs> so in in the flat I moved in, they had like the sheets with the big blankets. Yeah. And that was kind of my home comfort. Like I just want a duvet like at home. So I remember meeting um, this Irish assistant that I met in the first week. We did like an hour drive all the way to Ikea and Morphia. I went to Ikea as well on my when I first got that. Because we couldn't find like a duvet in like our town. No. Um, but little things like that, you know, you want to try and make, make it your home. Although you're only there maybe for nine months, mm -hmm. there are little creature comforts that I think can make your yeah your home a home while home what's the expression home, home away from, from home. home yeah I definitely say budget for stuff like bedding don't assume it's going to be there for you when I moved to Madrid they had bedding for us which was great but when I moved to Pisa there was like an old scraggly blanket and I didn't really fancy that much so um got on the free bus to IKEA and um I got stuff like towels bedding and stuff it is quite expensive but and you've just got to budget for it because you can't just sleep on a mattress. <laughs> <laughs> now, in terms of leaving the property, I mean, I had, and mine was fine, I didn't have a contract, so we just had the agreed date, we moved out, cleaned the mm -hmm. flat, and that was it. Um, often what our language assistants forget to do is when they have contracts, they forget to let the landlord know that they're leaving. So even at the start of the year, if you said, oh, I'm only going to be here for nine months, you do need to still remember to give them the formal notice if you're going to leave. Um, again, take proper, uh, pictures of the property when you leave to evidence that it was it's left fine. it's fine yeah. it was left in the same state um i'm trying to think of other things that people need to be aware of when they leave the thing is making sure that any contracts are cancelled yeah if you have like internet phones mm -hmm. anything and i'd also say make sure you give notice if you're leaving and try and get stuff in motion a bit in advance um, just because you don't want to be running around if you've got a flight on a sunday you don't want to be running around on the friday trying to get your full deposit back. Yeah, I would sure. just advise and um, get the wheels in motion a bit earlier on so that you're not panicking that you're gonna have to miss your flight because you're 800 euros down or something. And if you're unsure about your departure date, you can almost take our advice in reverse. Um, so end your contract and go back into temporary accommodation if you're wanting to stay for a few weeks yes, um, to stay on in the area, especially if it's like nice weather, you want to, a bit of a holiday at the end um it's better to get your contract sorted and resolved and then go into temporary accommodation so you're not stuck somewhere that you you don't want to be so sophie any other hints and tips do you think just generally about accommodation I, we've had like a really good discussion i think yeah, covered I think quite so. a few things mm -hmm. Are there any things that you wish you'd known before you went abroad or any tips that you've learned from your friends where things might have gone really well or gone wrong um, well, I would say, again, in terms of host families, I'd say at the beginning, be prepared to not actually have the level of French or the level of language that you think you have. Just because often I think we're taught a level that's quite a high register. So I remember the first week just thinking like, I can say all these things about, you know, ethics and have deep conversations about politics and things that I've been taught, but I couldn't say things like, can you pass me the salt? Or like, I couldn't, I couldn't describe the tastes and things because they always would, you know, cook a meal and they look at me kind of expectantly like, what, what do you think? But I didn't really know the vocab for explaining the different tastes that were going on and how I thought about the food. So I think 
yeah, don't be surprised at the beginning and don't let it knock your confidence. Right at the beginning, if you feel like you thought it was going to be an easy transition, but actually there's things that you need to just, I guess the everyday language, you do just pick up. And I guess that's why we're taught that way. We're taught the level that's quite high and hard to achieve. And then the everyday stuff we kind of pick up as we're there. Um, but I definitely say, yeah, be prepared for that and don't let it make you feel nervous. Because um, I guess, again, with a host family, it's not just that you're going into someone else's new family and you're kind of trying to find your own place there, but you've got the language barrier as well that you're trying to overcome and you wanting to express yourself at the beginning, but it often feels like, you know, you get the joke like two minutes later and then by that point the conversation's already passed on and you can't really <laughs> say anything about it. So yeah, I would, I think to, to kind of prevent that happening, I often would just try and really keep my language up when I was out and about in town. I went to lots of conversation exchanges and things because I was just naturally more nervous with the family because it's not like a conversation you can have in town where you're like, if it goes wrong, it's fine, I'll never see them again. It was family that I was living with. So I really wanted my language to be perfect, but I think I just gave myself too much of a hard time with that. So just, they know that at the beginning it's going to be rusty. So just go for it and like say what you can um, and don't feel like, oh no, I've got the grammar wrong here. Even though when you, you're saying it and you know you're saying it wrong, just go for it. And yeah, keep practicing in other circumstances where you don't feel as much pressure. And then when you're back with the family, it will make it easier. Mm-hmm. Cool. And just to end, because it, obviously it's lovely that you've just come back from, well, more or less, you know, your year abroad was very, very recent working as a language assistant. Mm-hmm. Do you have any highlights, favorite moments, or fond memories just to share with our audience? Um, well, I guess in terms of accommodation, when I was staying with a homestay and I got on really well with a little boy who was about 11, um, and in the evenings we always used to play different video games and I just, yeah, I always look at back with that with real fun memories for that and going out on, on a skateboard and stuff and falling over and all that kind of stuff. Um, and just generally the year abroad was amazing. It was honestly the best year of my life. And even when there are times that, you know, there are times that are hard and you have to prepare for that. Overall, it was just, there's so much opportunity out there and you, it's, you know cliche but you really do make of it what you do and I've been back so many times now to that specific city because I just loved it and I've been I went like a month ago and had the best time all over again and all the coffee shops I used to kind of go to all the time they're still the same people there they're like oh where have you been so yeah make the most of it because it really is such a good year for just trying out everything just try and experiment with different things go to different clubs and societies and whatever just keep your language going and yeah try new things it's such a good year perfect so i'd say with accommodation people need to stay as calm as they can do your research do your research <laughs> and try not to panic before you go and don't feel pressured to organizing something before you go um just be aware trust your judgment and everything should be fine and just to finish i'd say this program has been going since 1905. <laughs> I say to the assistants, because we, we always get people calling up and they get really stressed. It's like if people in 1905, they found accommodation. <laughs> people in my year found accommodation. In your most recent year, your cohort, Sophie, they will find accommodation. Everyone will find accommodation at some point. So try not to panic. It's very unlikely you're going to end up you know, without not it, without yeah. something. It's always something you're available. Might not be permanent. Might be do some live somewhere for a little bit and then swap to find something better. Yeah. But yeah, 
So we're also aware that we've got lots of our former language assistants also listening to the podcast. So if you are listening and you have taken part in the programme, or maybe you've had the experience of living abroad through different programmes or just through work or study, we're really keen to hear from you. So through uh, the platform that we issue our podcast to different providers through, it allows you to upload voice recordings. So if you go into our details about our podcast on whatever platform you're listening to, there should be a link that takes you to voice notes. So I'd be really interested to hear from our listeners. How did you find accommodation? What was your experiences? And if we get a few people messaging in with their voice notes, we can maybe have a little mini podcast in between this one and our next one. So yeah, if you do have some advice to give in terms of accommodation, please do let us know. Because as I said, it's one of the most hotly debated topics and the thing that causes people the most stress. So do engage with that. And do make sure that you follow us on Twitter. Our handle is languageASST. And if you've not already done so, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on more episodes. So following my massive shoulder dislocation debacle, we are now actually <laughs> uploading weekly. So do make sure you hit that subscribe button. But thank you so much, girls. It's lovely to have a, a discussion with you guys. And yes, yeah, so thank you so much. It's really great to hear from uh, such a recent language assistant. It makes me feel a bit old now. It's been a few years since I was uh, in the programme. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to the Language Assistance Podcast, brought to you by the British Council. This episode has been recorded and edited by the Language Assistance team. For more information about the British Council or the Language Assistance Programme, please visit britishcouncil.org. Or why not follow the Language Assistance team on Twitter? Our Twitter handle is at languageASST.